First Saturday of the month of August is the time to uh, share a contemplation on the Dhammapada verse that is presented on our calendar this month, which you may have looked at already, the verse uh, 78, which says, Do not seek the company of misguided friends. Beware of degenerate companions. Seek the company of well-guided friends, those who support insight. So the, it's not an uncommon theme uh, for the Buddha to... Uh, in fact, it's the whole thrust of the Buddha's teachings to, to highlight that which accords with insight. He wasn't, as you're all aware... Buddha wasn't teaching a path of, of a belief system, plenty of which there were around at the time and plenty of which there are around these days. The uh, story is put around that if you believe this, this and this, then things are going to turn out good and late, uh, later on in the future. Or rituals, the, uh, again, in the time of the Buddha, of course, there are Lots of religions and practices based on rituals and the idea if you kill a goat or you know, stand on your head long enough or whatever that uh, everything's going to turn out okay in the future. And the Buddha wasn't promoting such stories. Um, in fact, he also wasn't promoting anything about just put it off until later and something else will take care of it, but rather an emphasis on uh, doing what needs to be done so as to experience insight. And so there, the insight is aimed at the recognition of what are we doing that's getting in the way. Now the assumption and the, and the Buddha's realization is that, that consciousness, the heart, is essentially pure and radiant, inherently beautiful and free from suffering. It wasn't that the Buddha got rid of one heart and one consciousness and got another one. Rather, he purified the heart, purified the consciousness that he had, freed the, his heart and mind from greed, aversion and delusion and discovered that which was there uh, at the core. And so our practice uh, and his teaching... Uh, was to see as and when we're doing it. What are we doing that is creating obstructions to this radiance, to this beauty, to this possibility, to this potential? Mm. So, the, uh, as I was saying a few days ago to a group of visitors to the monastery, the, you know, to 
not recognize the potential or to take the potential we have as human beings for granted is very unfortunate. It's like if you inherit a million pounds and it's sitting in the bank, and but you don't touch it and you just sit at home and you cold house and, and miserable old worn out furniture and ratty clothes and, and eating baked beans. Yeah, that's horrible. Horrible sounds like an awful existence. Yeah. And uh, we have this inheritance. We have this, uh, here we are born as a human being and healthy enough, yeah, well, room for improvement, <laughs> but healthy enough, intelligent enough, educated, free enough, very free, if you look around the rest of the world, some of the awful things that are going on. Yeah. And we've come across a spiritual teaching, uh, and we have an opportunity to practice this teaching, a teaching which doesn't compromise intelligence, but encourages us to ask all the questions you want. Now, where else is there a religion that encourages you to ask all the questions that you want? Yeah. All the questions that occur to you, you're allowed, you're encouraged to ask, so that you can find out for yourself. So, so that's a, that's a good deal. That's you know we really you know we've landed on our feet, and we're really fortunate. And yet, what do we do with it? So, the uh, the Buddha found tried many ways, many occasions to to bring us back to recognizing this good fortune that we have, not taking it for granted, and and doing what we can <coughs> to to maximize on this potential we have. Unlike other animals, I know some of you are very fond of dogs, and I can see that you know there's some nice things about dogs as well. But you know, dogs—they don't get it. They just—they just eat and sleep and fight and you know bite each other, and and then when they get sick, they can't even look after themselves. It's a miserable existence. You know. They can be cute, I know, but you can't compare a dog with a human being, or even a dolphin. You know, love these dolphins. I'm into dolphins. You know, I really think dolphins are great. But they're not, they don't have the same capacity that human beings have to engage our experience with our faculties and to contemplate. Say, so, well, there was the cause, there was the effect. Okay, well, if I did that last time and that was the effect, well, I won't do it next time. And so to use our minds, to engage our minds, to contemplate what we're doing it, as we're doing it, hopefully, until there's the insight that brings about letting go. And so this is what the Buddha is pointing towards. And so over and over again, on many occasions, whatever it takes to bring this insight that leads to this precipitation, this letting go. And so on this occasion, he's pointing to a companionship. He's saying, uh, you know, uh, don't hang out with those that are going to drag you down. You know. There are uh, degenerate characters around. It doesn't mean to say these people are evil and are not themselves, but their behavior is degenerate and it will drag us down. We are vulnerable. Uh, so long as we're ignorant, we're vulnerable to being influenced. And our sila, our actions of body and speech, not to mention our mental habits, can be influenced by the people that we live with, the environment we live in. The Buddha talked about in talking to his monks and nuns, he talked about places of wrong resort. This is the expression, a place of wrong resort. In other words, a place you don't want to go and spend too much time. In fact, you shouldn't spend any time, really, uh, because it'll drag you down. Yeah. The behavior of the people there, uh, the conversation, the activities will affect our consciousness and we get pulled down. 
But he said that the wise thing to do is to seek the company of those who are well guided, those who support insight. You know, to seek it out. To, you know, well, who do I spend my time with? How much television do I watch? The stuff on television. I mean, how does that elevate consciousness, or does it take us down? That's a good question. You know, it's one thing is you know, you know, hanging out in the pub is not a good idea, and and going to the betting parlour and so on. Then these things are clearly uh, not necessarily going to elevate us. But not just that, but also uh, what what novels do we read and what what television do we look at? In other words, how does where do we place our consciousness? And to consider that there are ways that will bring us drag us down, and there are ways that will lift us up. And, and to seek out those that are going to lift us up. So uh, tomorrow, Ajahn Abhinando starts his uh, summer retreat here and there'll be, I don't know, 20 or so guests coming to join us, which is very nice. And, and he's, somebody, he's somebody you could consider as a well-guided friend. He's not a degenerate. Uh, he, sometimes his jokes are a bit off, but he's not a degenerate. Uh, he's somebody who, hanging out in his company, is likely to, likely to lift you up. And so that's a wise thing to do. And I'm very pleased that there are people doing that. I'm very pleased that we put the work into building Kusla House down the hill there. It took a lot of work, a lot of work, a lot of years to get it done. But I'm very, very happy when people do come and use it and make the most of living in proximity to spiritual community. I think when people ask my opinion on the subject about moving to get a new job or moving house, you know, I think one of the first things you should consider, well, you know, what sort of access are you going to have to spiritual resources, you know, is there a, a good Dhamma group nearby, is there a monastery nearby, are there the spiritual teachers nearby that you can find the nourishment that you, you need. I mean, it's one thing to be able to have a good airport nearby, and this, it might be useful, but, you know, a good airport is not, no substitute for spiritual guidance. So, you know, thinking, are you going to be moving to another location? You say, well, you know, where am I going to get my spiritual nourishment from? What sort of companions am I going to be spending my time with? And this particular Dhammapada verse, uh, verse 78, is the uh, story that's associated with this is uh, with regards to the, the Buddha's um, companion when he first left the householder's life. And he had uh, his, um, his charioteer, Chana, with him as a companion. And, and so when the Buddha first went forth and to live the holy life, Chana was his companion and and once the Buddha realized liberation and Chana became a bhikkhu was was around at the same time and various other monks joined up and and became realized the Dhamma the way the Buddha had uh, but Chanda he was a bit of a slow learner and so uh, he didn't learn a lot of things actually and he had some serious bad habits and one of them was actually to be going around bad-mouthing uh, some of these very well-attained monks Venerable Sariputra Moggallana uh, the Buddha referred to as his chief disciples, his right-hand man, his left-hand man, other than Sariputta Moggallana. But as far as Chana was concerned, these guys were a couple of so-and-sos. You know, he would, he would badmouth me, he'd go around and say, well, when the Buddha went forth, I went forth with the Buddha. I was the only one who went forth with the Buddha. And who's this Sariputta Moggallana character strutting around as if they call themselves the chief disciples? And, and so a uh, pretty unseemly kind of conduct on the part of Chana. And so 
the Buddha, uh, the Buddha called him in and said, uh, rather you shouldn't be talking like that, Chana. These, these, these good monks are, are actually people who you should consider as good friends. You should spend time with them. They'll help you. Well, that, you know, Chana was a bit thick, quite frankly, because you know, even the Buddha pointing it out to him didn't get through. So he carried on in his bad habits and, and right up to the point where the Buddha was actually, uh, the Buddha was on his deathbed. And just before he died, he called his attendant, Vinamalananda, in to see him and instructed the Vinamalananda to tell the other bhikkhus to uh, perform a, a, a punishment on uh, Chana and ignore him, not have anything to do with him, which is a very heavy uh, process for a monk to do to another monk or for a Sangha to do to another monk. And, and uh, the Buddha realized, in fact, he'd said, he said, well, you know, I can tell you actually, uh, Chana's not going to change, but after I die, you know, things will be different. And so when the Buddha did die, and then it was pointed out to Chana that uh, the Buddha, before he died, instructed the Sangha to perform this, uh, this, uh, this, this uh, punishment on you. And of course, uh, Chana didn't like that at all. But eventually, he got the message. And according to the story about this, in fact, he fainted three times. He was so shocked by the news that the Buddha had said this just before he died that the veils of delusion fell away and Chana recognized his faults and then apologized. And, and eventually, the story goes, uh, came to realize complete liberation. So and that's where the verse came from. This is when the Buddha stated this verse to, to avoid degenerate company and, and seek those who are going to lift you up, those who are well-guided, those that uh, encourage and lead to insight. And, uh, and so also to, to in this story, it's, it's noticeable, I think, to, to see how um, for Chana, the, it, he had to get to the point of acknowledging his fault. Uh, he, the Buddha tried to get him to acknowledge his fault. I'm sure the other monks tried to get him to acknowledge his fault. But he wouldn't acknowledge his fault. He kept, I am right. I am better than you. I went forth with the Buddha and... Sometimes you'll see this in, in, uh, in spiritual life. You know, I am closer to the Ajahn or I am closer to so-and-so, some teacher or other, and, and uh, a form of ditti, a form of uh, view of conceit can crop up in that. And so even if, we, uh, even if we think that we happen to belong to the, the best club or whatever, it's important to keep our eye out for that. That's an obstruction. Yeah. Even thinking that we're the best, even if we are the best, even if we are the best organization, and we're, you know, we've got the best teacher, to be attached and be caught up in that is an obstruction. And the point of where we're, where we're available for insight is when we acknowledge our fault. So this is an important part of training to the skill of being able to acknowledge our faults. Many of us have the habits of covering up our faults, even pretending we don't have faults, which is a seriously unfortunate habit. Yeah. Going to the other extreme and just kind of just going on about all your faults to everybody, that's not it either. That's, uh, that can be a way of like asking everybody else to somehow take responsibility for your faults. But simply acknowledging our faults to say, Right, that is a fault. Right. Well, there's an element of equanimity there. There's compassion there. There's kindness there. There's clarity there. So 
this is a fault, seeing a fault as a fault is is opening the door to possible insight. So these different ways that the Buddha uh, encouraged and identified as as uh, leading to insight, checking out the kind of companionship we have, um, acknowledging our faults when we see them, you know, finding a way, and part of that acknowledging your fault also can be a way of, like asking your friends to help you see your faults. That's a good thing to do in spiritual training. Something that uh, that uh, in the monastery the monks are encouraged to do. If you go to stay trained in a new monastery, one of the first things you do is you go to see the uh, the teacher, the Ajahn of the monastery, and you give specific formal invitation. You say, please, while I'm here, please, if you see any faults, please don't hesitate to point them out. And, and it's something that we also do with each, with each other in the community from time to time. And we go, give each other invitation that if I have faults, please point them out to me. Because with a, one of the things with delusion is that we just don't know it. We don't know that we're deluded. When we're greedy, well, you know, we can see greed. You know, I'm a greedy pig. Yeah, okay, I know that. Okay, that's greed. Or angry, when you feel you're angry or afraid, you can tell you're afraid. But delusion, well, what is delusion? Uh, uh, so the thing with delusion is that we don't know when we're deluded. And so one of the really important things uh, in coming to terms with these obstructions to insight is good friendship. In fact, in that verse, the word, um, well, in the seek out good, well, can, uh, well-guided friends, the expression, that actually the Pali word there is, is mitta kalyana, you know, a good friend. Mitta friend, kalyana, a truly good, truly worthy friend. That's, that if we have such friendship, then the wise thing to do is to cultivate it. And Mitta Kalyana, like really good spiritual companions, are not necessarily people that you like. And they're not necessarily the sort of people that you might you know, hang out with in uh, everyday society. But the people who are aspiring for freedom, the people who practice, the people who respect integrity, the people who respect, respect generosity. And if we have such companions, then the wise thing to do is to really show respect and appreciation to them and and then to invite, to ask, please please point out if you see my faults, please let me know because I can't see them. No. There's another uh, sutta that uh, many of, well, most of us will be familiar with, I would expect, the Mahamangala Sutta, the Discourse on Greatest Blessings. And in there, the, the, it's a similar sort of theme, the it starts off with a sevana chabala nang pandita nachasevana, which is a sevana chabala. Don't associate yourself with bala, people who are going to actually bring you down, drag you down. The mind is like, it's like water. It takes on the shape of the vessel that it's contained in. If you pour water into a, into a, a square shape, it takes on a square shape. If you pour water into a round shape, it takes on the shape of a round shape. And so the unenlightened, unawakened mind takes on the shape of the environment we get affected by. So don't associate with those who are going to pull you down. Pandita nanchasevana. Associate yourself with the pandita, the wise being. 
And then the uh, the second verse of that stanza also is worth considering. Well, it's all worth considering, but it's very interesting. It's atta samapaniti, which is oneself rightly directed. This is the greatest blessing, etang mangalamutamanga, oneself rightly directed. And so it's a concept, samapaniti, which is a, a concept in the Buddha's teachings that it's really worth considering. How do I get myself rightly directed? A lot of the time, I think you know, we just kind of cobble along and go through life reacting, and and as well, it's what everybody does. You know, everybody does it like this, and so we do. Well, that's not a good criteria because most people die miserable. And what the Buddha was offering was a, an invitation to realize something, so that when our time to die comes, if we haven't already realized freedom from suffering, well, then at the point of dying, there'll be a chance to realize the insight that does free consciousness from the distortions that bring suffering. So just doing what everybody else does is not necessarily a good idea. So there's this concept of developing as being rightly directed. And so in this particular verse, talking tonight about the company that, <coughs> the company that we keep, uh, training ourselves with regards to... Um, uh, giving invitation to you know, point out our faults and recognizing our faults when they come to us and we see a fault. And sometimes when you recognize you've made a fault, and the tendency is to try and forget about it. Because when you recognize a fault, when you feel, when you feel really bad, when you see you've just been, you recognize how conceited you've been. And just, you know, like Chana, you know, kind of getting around arrogant and obnoxious and, and you don't know it. And then one day somebody offers you a reflection or you, you grow up a little bit or whatever and, and you suddenly look back and just say, wow. And you feel, you know, the feeling can be really bad, really disheartening. Well, that's not the point. The point is not to get fall into depression and self-criticism. You know, when we recognize that, when we see our faults, that's the benefit of practice. That's what's supposed to happen. You know, we're not just supposed to be seeing how good we are and how wonderful we are. Because we were truly good and wonderful, well, we wouldn't be suffering. So, so the point of practice is how to recognize faults as faults. And so when we see the faults, we put our hands together in Anjali and say, thank you. Mm. And learn to really recognize, oh, that was a fault, to train ourselves in that. Also, being learning to be rightly directed, it's, uh, I think it's worth mentioning, pointing out the value of devotional practices. The over-intellectual, left-brained-oriented, over-educated Western mind can, if it, can't, if it doesn't see the rational value of doing something, it can easily dismiss it. And so you'll find, for instance, that in certain schools of Buddhist meditation that have come to the West, some of them, for instance, that have come out of Burma, that uh, people perceive them uh, as like almost like mental training techniques. But if you go to Burma and you go to the monasteries that these monks who teach these techniques live in, you'll see the monasteries are full of Buddha images and people offering incense and bowing. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a culture of devotion, a puja. And, and it's just taken that you know, this, is, this, is, uh, this is just so normal. It's, like, it's just like cleaning your teeth. But then if you haven't been taught to clean your teeth, you don't know how to look after your teeth. Well, by the time you reach 30 or 40, you might have lost all your teeth. And that would be very unfortunate. Yeah. 
But we just take it for granted. Well, we're taught to clean our teeth, and so we clean our teeth. And, but then you meet somebody who doesn't know how to clean their teeth, and you feel sorry for them. Well, I think it's probably sometimes how some of the Asian Buddhists feel about us. They see these kind of over-intellectual, technically-oriented Westerners kind of hammering away at their vipassana, trying to have stages of insight. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually feel very sorry for us. Because, you know, where's the, where's the open-hearted, respectful, devotional uh, quality? Uh, the softness, the gentleness, the humility. The, when Ajahn Chah came back from his time in the West, one of the things he pointed out, he commented on, he said, this, you know, those Westerners, they've got a lot going for them. You know, they've got a lot of suffering, got a lot of intelligence, got a lot of teaching and so on. He said, but they all think they're equal. And if you can't raise your teachers up and respect your teachers, then it's difficult to learn from them. He observed, I think, somewhere how Dhamma students called their teachers by their first name or, you know, just treated them casually and slapped them on the back or whatever. And, um, and, and he, you know, so the lack of, of deference, lack of, of respect that was unfortunate. And, and he pointed out, if you want to benefit from anything, you just lift it up and then it naturally comes down to you. And, and so the view that we have currently in our uh, society, if we're all equal, uh, is actually a false view. There, there is a place definitely for equality of opportunity, definitely. Uh, but we're not all equal in our understanding. We're not all equal in our virtue. And so those who are more wise, those who are more experienced, those who are more able than us, the wise thing to do is to show respect to them, to lift them up. And this is one element of, of devotion, uh, to show respect and devotion to those who know more and are actually more are realized and wiser than more compassionate than we are. And so in that spirit, I would suggest that uh, engaging and cultivating devotional practices is a really important aspect of making ourselves available for insight. We can't make insight happen. And part of us might like to think we can because, you know, we apply this technique, we put in so many hours and then we're going to kind of tick off the stages of insight and well, I don't think it works like that myself. I mean, the, the, ins the obstruction to insight is usually me. Yeah. And often all my trying and all my cleverness is, is, uh, is actually compounding um, the feelings and the, and the experience of being obstructed. And so one of the ways of loosening the grasp on me and mine is to engage in devotional practices, to, to reflect on the Buddha, this human being who walked on planet Earth 2,600 or something years ago and out of compassion gave these teachings and all the teachers who since then have made an effort to apply themselves you know, to make the sacrifices necessary to realize the insight and then to make the effort to share those teachings. and. To contemplate in this way, to realize that there are people that are better than me. I mean, it's, it's obvious from one perspective that there's people who are better than me, but sometimes the way we get around it's just almost as if I'm the most important person on the planet. And that's pretty stupid, really. And yet that's the way our conditioning goes. And so to find ways of undoing that, to contemplate, no, there are some people who are truly worthy of respect, truly worthy of respect. They've made the great gesture of renunciation, and I don't mean giving up food in the evening, I mean the great gesture of renunciation of self. They've endured the unendurable until they've experienced that profound letting go 
and those people are truly worthy of respect. Yeah. And so to contemplate that, and and so then I, I think it's very wise, very skillful to use forms, to engage in traditional forms. But of course, we're not. Most of us are not brought up with these forms, you know, bowing and candles and incense and chanting. But just because we're not brought up with them doesn't mean to say we can't use them, we can't engage them. It's like sitting on the floor. Most of us weren't brought up sitting on the floor. And I can remember the agony I went through when I joined the monastery of learning how to sit on my toes. You see how the monks sit on their toes, their toes going backwards and, and then sitting papir like most of these monks are doing, you know, with their feet sideways, out of respect for the Dhamma. Learning how to do that was excruciating. And uh, yeah, I was only 23, 24 at the time. And so it's painful, but you can learn it. And then once you can learn the form, or like with yoga, you know, like yoga, I mean, or, or Tai Chi, I mean, how goofy do you look when you start Tai Chi? I mean, all over the place, you know, like a monkey. And, uh, and, uh, and yet if you persist with it, maybe something really beautiful and really healing and really beneficial comes out of it. Well, just as those healing forms, Tai Chi and, and Qigong and yoga, uh, can work on the body and the energy system. Uh, likewise, the devotional forms, a puja, the bowing, the chanting, the offering, the ritual offering of candles and incense, the dedication of punya that we do in the evening as a ritual gesture of giving away the goodness of our life to others. Uh, I'm personally very encouraging of these practices. If we're interested in rightly aligning ourselves, rightly being rightly guided towards the goal of insight, then all of these practices support that. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.